We are in part three, if you're just joining us, of a series that I've been excited to do for a while. Um, we're calling it Blessed. And what we're doing is we're looking at what we call the Beatitudes. So the most famous sermon Jesus ever preached, it was called the Sermon on the Mount. And what he does is he takes us through these eight Beatitudes where he says, blessed are those who, blessed are those who. He basically gives you instructions for if you want to be blessed by God, here's some things you need to do or some ways you need to be. And he makes it very clear. And um, I read a devotional uh, a few years ago um, from a well-known pastor, and I'm taking a few points from this sermon from that devotional. In case you've read that, you'll hear a little bit of familiar stuff here, but it was just said so well. Um, but let's start with the beatitude itself. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 5, it says, God blesses those who are gentle. And then here's the promise. The whole earth will belong to them. And when I read that, it's like, are you kidding me? That's a crazy promise. Like the whole earth is going to belong to anybody who's gentle. Do you really believe that? And I wouldn't, actually, because it's such a crazy statement, except the fact that Jesus said it. And I believe everything Jesus said. And I believe that when Jesus came and said, you know, I didn't come to bring you the truth. I didn't come to tell you the truth. I am the truth. And that means we need to listen to every word that he says. And so what he's saying is, if you guys will actually learn to be gentle in this life and have this character quality, the world is yours. It's no longer in charge of you. You're in charge of it. That's basically what he's saying. And in our hard-driven, ego-driven culture that we live in, uh, you don't hear a lot anymore about this characteristic of gentleness. And the reason is we don't really understand what it means to be gentle. Because a lot of people, especially men these days, they define gentleness as weakness. And they somehow think it's weakness when that's not how the, the Bible describes it. God says, heck no, that's not true. The gentle are actually the strongest people on the planet. That's what the Bible teaches, and I'm going to walk you through that. And uh, it's the weak people who are arrogant. It's the weak people who are prideful. It's the weak people who are pushy and rude and mean and gossip about people. Those are weak people. He said the strong people are the ones that learn gentleness. So let me give you a true biblical definition of gentleness. It's actually defined as strength under control. Not weakness. Strength, but under control. In other words, a gentle person does not get driven by their own emotions. They have control of their emotions. A gentle person is not someone who's always moody and flies off the handle at the littlest thing. The Greek word in the Bible that they use for gentleness here is actually the word preutis. And in the older translations in the English language, it's translated as meek. So many of you have heard this beatitude, this verse, more like this. Blessed are those who are meek for they will inherit the earth. You've all heard it said that way as well. But a lot of people in our culture don't use the word meek anymore, not because it wasn't the right word, but because our culture has now defined meek as weak. And that's not what it originally meant. What it originally meant was they had stallions back then, these wild horses that would roam the hills. And these horses had so much power and so much strength and so much speed, they were these wild horses. But they were untamed. And so where this word came from is when you would take one of those horses and you would actually tame it. That horse didn't become any less powerful, any less strong, or any less fast, but now its strength was controlled and available to be used by the master who tamed it. That's where that word actually comes from in the original Greek. And so it's better defined today as gentleness, the way we talk about things, but today we're going to look about strength. We're going to look at strength of gentleness because God says if you'll learn this trait, you will be blessed. So I think it's important for us to look at it. And I'm going to give you eight of these. So write real quick. Take notes. Um, number one, gentleness, guys, it actually diminishes conflict. Did you know that? 
It de-escalates anger. It curbs it. It diffuses the time bomb that's about to explode in one of your relationships. It's the antidote to anger. And as I talk a little bit about anger today, guys, uh, know that this is an area that I personally struggle with and always have. So those of you that might get a little like, ooh, he's talking to me, I'm actually talking to myself, and if it applies to you, great, win-win. Um, in Proverbs 15.1, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Have you noticed that human beings tend to copy each other's emotions sometimes? And psychologically, if you've studied that, it's actually this thing that happens in our brains called mere neurons. And what happens with mere neurons is it actually causes us, so if you're sitting across from me and you start to get really angry, I automatically start to get really angry and copy your behavior. And so what happens is if you're around people all the time that are close to you, they get angry, then you start to get angry. If you're around people all the time that speak positively, you start to speak more positively and you start to mimic their behavior. Let me give you a little tip that I learned from another pastor many years ago. And it'll diffuse a lot of conflicts in your life if you feel like a lot of those are happening. Anytime that somebody raises their emotions around you, lower yours. Because it immediately puts you in control. That's where the strength comes from. When somebody raises their voice at you and you raise your voice back, you're raising yourself to their level, which is not a place of power. But when I lower my voice and I talk to you really quietly, all of a sudden I have more power than you. That's how that works. Gentleness means that when someone else raises their emotions, you lower, their, you lower yours. All right, number two, this is a big one. Gentleness also disarms your critics. How many like to be criticized? Didn't think so. This is how you disarm them. And here's a fact of life, guys. The more successful you are, the more wins you have in your life, the more fruit that you see God doing in your life, the more you follow Jesus Christ, the more people are going to criticize you. Mark my words. So the question then becomes, how do you handle the critics? The people who gossip about you at work, at school, in your neighborhood, in your families, those who malign you, say bad things about you, uh, say things to you on Facebook and you get so upset about it. Here's the thing. When you respond with gentleness instead of the way that you tend to, you automatically disarm them. Why? Because they're trolling. <laughs> when somebody's criticizing you, they're trying to hook you. They're trying to bait you. They want you to respond a certain way and if you give them that, then they win. That's how that works. If you get defensive, if you get angry back, then you lower yourself to that, that level. Let me explain the psychology of this because this is true of almost every person. It's even been true of me in the past. A lot of people who get angry a lot, it's actually an addiction. Did you know that? There's a literal addiction to anger the same way some people are addicted to substances. And most people that get angry a lot, there's something inside them that's actually depressed. There's something inside them that they're trying to compensate for, and sometimes getting angry and letting that rage out is actually the only way they feel something sometimes. It actually makes them feel alive, and so for them to do that, they get angry. And that's what happens, and it's just part of the system. So let me give you, um, let me give you some more tips on that, because the people that I'm referring to right now are the ones that are always looking for a fight. Do you know those people? Don't look at them. <laughs> some of you immediately, when you're like, Elbowing. But you know, who, you know who they are. And so some of us, it was a parent. Some of us, it was, uh, you know, some of us married someone who, who has an anger problem. Um, maybe you dated somebody who had an anger problem. And it's just like somebody's always looking for a fight. Because some people don't actually feel good inside themselves until they get in a fight. And when they get angry, it energizes them and they feel better. Does that make sense? And so here's the thing. You can't let them pull you in. You can't let them hook you because somebody's going to say something to you in person or say something to you on Facebook, and if you respond, they're just going to go, got them, and they got you. 
and they feel so good because they love getting in a fight. Here's the thing. Healthy people don't love getting in fights. Unhealthy people love getting in fights. So don't jump into the fight. So what do you do in that situation when they're trying to hook you, though? 1 Corinthians 4.13, Paul actually tells us what to do. He says we respond gently when evil things are said about us. Gosh, that's hard. In other words, don't retaliate. If somebody says something that hurts you and puts you, it, 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 when somebody says something to you like that, it automatically puts them below you. If you retaliate, it makes you even. If you don't respond, guys, it keeps you at the morally superior place, and you're actually above them in that moment. Titus 2.8, your conversation should be so sensible, in other words, the words that come out of your mouth should be so sensible, kind, and gentle that anyone who wants to argue will be ashamed because there won't be anything to criticize in anything you say. In other words, let your words speak for themselves so that nobody would even believe that stuff that's said about you because you put on that front everywhere you go. Did you know, most people don't know this, that as your pastor, I am instructed in Scripture to not get into arguments? Some of you didn't know that, did you? There are multiple passages in Scripture that say a pastor is not to get in heated debates or arguments with anybody. And I know a lot of pastors who do, and they violate that scripture, but the Bible says that that's not what I'm supposed to do. It says, instead, I'm commanded by God to be gentle in the way I approach every situation. And that is a quality that I've had to learn the hard way in ministry, and it does not come naturally to me. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, that's the place where they list some of the qualifications for those that would be pastors or teachers in the church. And here's one of the many things that it says. It says, the Lord's servant, talking about the pastors, one of them is that he must never quarrel. Instead, he must be kind and gentle with everyone he agrees with. No, that's not what it says. It actually says he must be kind and gentle with everyone who's in his same political party. No, it doesn't say that either. It doesn't even say that he must be kind and gentle with everyone who's a Christian. It says he must be kind and gentle with everyone. Circle that word. You need to remember that's what it actually says, everyone. So does that include other religions? Yes, does that include atheists? Yes. Does that include somebody that's in a lifestyle that I personally disagree with? Yes. It says pastors must be able to teach effectively and must be patient with difficult people. <laughs> Those who oppose him, he must gently instruct. Look at that word. There's that word gentle again. He must gently instruct in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to know the truth. I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but I get criticized once in a while. In fact, it happens more often than most of you know. And most of it's just stupid and it makes no sense at all, so I just completely ignore it because it's just ridiculous. I mean, I could give you a hundred real things to criticize about me that are true, but nobody ever picks those. Um, and, uh, but the Bible says I'm not supposed to respond to those that criticize me. And uh, it says gentleness actually robs them of their power. It actually gives me more strength. And so what I do is I ask God for a gentle heart but thick skin. You're not supposed to have a thick heart. You're supposed to have a gentle heart, but you're supposed to have thick skin where it'll roll off you, but the gentle heart where you respond in a compassionate way. And what's really funny is it says God blesses those who are gentle. The whole earth belongs to them, right? And what's funny is a few of my greatest critics when I first met them are now some of my best friends. Who had the power in that situation? Yeah, I shifted them. So I controlled the outcome. There's a guy in our church that left, uh, I don't know, years back, and um, since then, there's been quite a few criticisms that have been flying my way, and things that he said, and, you know, just, um, 
it doesn't feel good. I'm not going to lie to you and tell you that that feels good. But over the course of, of several years, that whole time, I have not said one single evil or negative thing back about him or toward him. Not one. And let me tell you the story, just vaguely, no names. But before this, when this first happened, people would come to me and say, Jared, did you hear what he said about you? Is that true? And I would just, what do you think? And then it would be, Jared, is, did you hear what he said about you? You need, to, you need to respond to that. You need to defend yourself. That can't be true. You know what happens now, a couple years later, because of my lack of retaliation and my gentle responses toward him and even communicating love toward this person? Now, anytime somebody hears something, they immediately laugh at the person in his face because it's clearly not true because it's been proven by my lack of response and the fruit that they see coming from my life. When you retaliate, it puts you at their level instead of keeping you in the morally superior place. It's not weakness. It's strength. Here's a really important one, guys. I stole this one. Gentleness is persuasive. You need to know that. There was a guy that showed up at um, Amy and my doorstep a couple of years ago, and I'm on the way out the door heading to the gym, right? I had things to do. So I'm walking out the door, I close the door, and I lock it, and then this guy comes up my walkway, blocking my way from escaping to my car. And he says, hey, can I share something with you real quick? And I'm like, I don't have a lot of time, but okay. He runs back to his fancy truck that was a freezer truck. He pulls out all these boxes. He comes up to my front porch and opens them and lays them all out on my front porch. And there's steaks and filet mignons and chicken breasts and fish in these frozen boxes. And he says, let me tell you about the subscription that you can sign up for. And it's a yearly subscription and you commit for a year and you're locked in. But we ship this meat frozen to your house and it's better quality than the stores. And it turns out to be cheaper than the stores for what you get. But you got to get bulk. And he's saying all these things. And I stop him about five minutes later because I'm late. And I say, hey, look, I don't want to be rude. Um, you know, I wish you the best, but I just want to be honest with you so I don't waste your time. I'm not going to buy the subscription, so I'm just letting you know now. And he looks up at me, and no joke, he says, well, what would you let me unpack it on your porch for then? <laughs> and, you know, I just said, you know what, I got to go. Good luck, man. And I left and let out my frustration at the gym. But, guys, the point is that method does not work to sell stuff. <laughs> How often have you bought something from somebody like that? How often have you uh, been led to accept an idea that was shared with you by somebody like that? That's not the way that you convince people. It's not the way that you persuade people and have influence over people. It's the story of Rise Church, by the way. If the people in this room had gone out there year, several years back, and started hitting people with Bibles and saying, come here, the truth. Do you think this church would have grown like it did? No. It's because people saw the fruit and the life change happening and what God was doing in this church and simply went out there and said, hey, guys, come and see. Come and see. It was a gentle approach that God used to grow this church. Let me show you some verses. Proverbs 25, 15. Gentle speech breaks down rigid defenses. So you want to convince your husband of something, your wife of something, your parents of something. Not harsh words. It's not going to work. We've seen that over and over. Gentle speech breaks it down. Another translation says, I like this one better, a gentle word can get through to the hard-headed. So the Bible also teaches, by the way, that if you're a parent, you're not supposed to discipline in anger and frustration. A parent is told in Scripture to discipline their children. That's a command. But it says don't ever do it in anger and frustration. Discipline, but not in anger and frustration. 
And so that's why screaming doesn't ever work because screaming, all it does is create fear and resentment in the person you're screaming at. They get defensive. In the same way, if you want to persuade or convince somebody to live more like Jesus Christ, which is part of my job, you have to do it in a gentle way. What would you guys think if I got up here every Sunday and I opened this book and I just started telling you all the things you're doing wrong in life? And saying those harsh statements and things like that. What would happen? You'd put up emotional barriers. It's not a method that works in these days to communicate truth to people. It's, just, it's not how Jesus did it. He did it with the judgmental people, but not with the masses. Um, a gentle word can get through to the hard-headed. Also, in Proverbs 16.21, it says, A wise, mature person is known for understanding. The more pleasant his words, the more persuasive he is. Circle the word pleasant and the word persuasive and draw a line between them because they're forever connected. If you want to be more persuasive in life, you have to be able to have more pleasant words. It's what you have to do. Uh, this is a mark of maturity, by the way. Wise, mature people know how to speak pleasantly. Fools are rough and rude. Fools are crude. You know? And so the more mature, wise you are, the more pleasant speech is going to come out of your mouth. When you use harsh language, you, often, you, you actually often uh, defeat yourself. Number four, this is a really big one, especially if you're looking for a husband or a wife, single people. So listen close. Gentleness also looks good on you. It looks very good on you. The Bible actually describes gentleness in a few different places as an attractive quality, something that draws people to you. You need to learn to be more gentle in your life, and that's true of both men and women. One of the laws of life, guys, is that I attract what I am. Listen to that, single people. You don't attract what you want. You attract what you are. So ladies, if you're looking and praying for a godly man to come into your life, you need to first become a godly woman. Same thing the other way. Guys, if you're searching for a godly woman, you need to first become a godly man. You attract what you are. And so, you know, since we have a bunch of singles in this church, <laughs> first the guys, let me show you a verse for you. 1 Timothy 6.11. As a man of God... And I want all of you to be men of God, right? That should be one of our desires, gentlemen. As a man of God, pursue what God approves of. And then he gives these five marks of being a godly man. So guys, circle these. These are the five traits you need to have to be considered a godly man. Godliness, faith, love, endurance. Oh, and by the way, gentleness. What's godliness? I'm trying to live like Jesus. I'm trying to let Christ live through me, right? What's the next one? Faith. So I trust God in every area of my life. I depend on him even in hard circumstances. Love. You're loving. You're unselfish. Endurance. You don't give up. You don't quit even when things are rough. And then one of the marks of the man of God, it says, is gentleness. It's strength under control. And guys, it looks good on you. Trust me. And I don't want to belabor this point too much, but you, you single guys need to let me give you a little advice today. Let me give you some advice from, from Dr. Love, from, <laughs> from doc, Dr. J. Love. If you want to attract a good woman, single guys, you need to become more like Boaz, okay? Who is Boaz? He's a guy in the Old Testament. Where in the Old Testament? In the book of Ruth. Let me tell you his story. I'm not going to put the verses on the screen. I'm just going to paraphrase the story because we don't have time. Boaz is a very successful businessman. He's a young guy. He's got these wheat fields, and, and he harvests crops. That's what he does for a living. And so one day, he's sitting there, and he looks out at his fields, 
and the gleaning is happening. If you don't know what gleaning is, gleaning is after a crop was harvested back then, the poor people and the homeless individuals would actually come to the crop that was harvested and gather the scraps, the remnants, the leftovers that were sitting there so that they could eat. And so he looks out there and he sees this young woman named Ruth. Now, if you don't know the story of Ruth, Ruth's husband has just died, so she's a widow. She's a young woman, but she's a widow now. And she's trying to do the right thing by God by now taking care of her aging mother-in-law who's poor. So she's out in the field gleaning the scraps to take back and feed her, her, her aging mother-in-law to take care of her. She thinks she's trying to do the right thing in the eyes of God. So Boaz looks out at the field and sees this woman gleaning from his crops. And he could have responded like most of us would, which is go out there, hey, that's not yours. What do you think you're doing? This doesn't belong to you. And he could have been rude, harvesting my grain. It's my grain. But he was not rude. In fact, it says he was gentle with Ruth. And not only does he let her glean, but he actually then commends her. He compliments her for doing what's right in the eyes of God and taking care of her aging mother-in-law. And if you read the story, he's very gentle with this total stranger. And then Ruth has this line in Ruth chapter 2 where she says to Boaz, you're so kind to me, you have made me feel better by speaking gently. There's that word again. Guys, a woman always feels better when you speak gently to her. It's one of the best tips I can give you. So it's, a, it's going good. So Boaz invites her out to lunch. If you read it close, it says he actually invites her to have some bread and dip it in the sauce. That was cool. They had dip back then. Um, and so here's the interesting thing, though, that you might not recognize. Out of this one simple incident where this guy is gentle to this total stranger, all of history has changed. Let me describe it to you. Why is this story even in the Bible? There's a reason God put this story in the Bible. Because Ruth was not even a Jewish woman. And back then it was illegal for a Jewish man to marry a non-Jewish woman. Boaz could not marry a non-Jewish woman, but he did, and God had a plan in it. Because you know that section in Matthew chapter 1 where it's really boring and it lists all the genealogy of Jesus and all these begat, 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 and all these names and stuff? There's four women mentioned in that genealogy. One of those women is not even Jewish, which means, which means culturally she shouldn't have even been mentioned there, and her name is Ruth. God used that marriage as one of the marriages to bring the very Messiah, Savior, into the world. Did you know that Ruth had a grandson and his name was King David? It all happened because Boaz was gentle with a woman he didn't even know. And it led to the Savior of the world. Here's the point. If Boaz had been ruthless, he would have been ruthless. That was bad. That was bad. But, um, but it all happened just from him being gentle. That's the point. And so that's for the guys, okay? Now let me talk to the women for a second. Single ladies. Gentleness looks good on women too. 1 Peter 3, 4. He's actually talking to women in this verse. And he says, you should be known for the beauty that comes from within. Because it's so much more important than the outer beauty. And here's how he describes it. The unfading beauty inside of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is so precious to God. You see that word unfading? Because what's within does not fade. Would you all, all agree that outer beauty eventually can fade? And for some of us, it takes our lifetime, and then for others, it's like year one, you're not cute anymore, right? And so, <laughs> so that was harsh. That was not gentle. But let me give you one of the biggest tips that my wife would give to all the single ladies in the room. It's two words, and she said it to so many young single women and influenced them to wait for the right man. The word she uses is don't settle. Ladies, don't settle. 
become the godly woman and wait for the godly man if you're single, okay? Let me, let me share it with you this way. This got sent to me. Put it on the screen. There you go. <laughs> Girls, Ruth waited for her Boaz. While you're waiting on your Boaz, don't settle for any of his relatives. Broke as, lying as, cheating as, dumb as, drunk as, cheap as, locked up as, good for nothing as, lazy as, and especially his third cousin, beaten yo as. Wait on your Boaz and make sure he respects yo as. And guys, just for the record, if that offended you, you're not going to last here. So I'm just, <laughs> I'm just throwing that out here. All right, number five, we'll move on quickly. Uh, gentleness communicates love. Okay, it communicates love. So guys, those of you who are husbands and you're married, the quickest way to improve your marriage is to start talking to your wife more gently. It'll do wonders if you'll begin to talk to your wife in a more gentle way. Some of you need to hear that. Colossians 3.19, it says that. Husbands, love your wives and be gentle with them. Any fool can be selfish. Any fool can be rough. It takes a real man to be gentle with a wife, okay? It's not only the key to effective marriage, by the way, it's also the key to effective parenting. The Bible teaches, do not discipline out of anger or frustration, but always gently out of love. Ephesians 6.4, fathers, do not irritate and provoke your children to anger, so don't do things that intentionally upset your kids, is what that's saying. Do not exasperate them to resentment. What does that mean? That means you don't raise your standards so high that there's no way your kids can meet it. They're not perfect, neither are you, right? But rear them tenderly, in other words, gently, in the training and discipline and counsel of the Lord. So gentleness shares love. All right, number six. It also earns respect. Proverbs 11.16 talks uh, about how a woman can be more respected. Here's what it says. A woman of gentle grace will be respected. Interesting. I think that's true of men as well. And, you know, when I think of that verse, woman of grace, I automatically think of Mother Teresa, right? Those of you who've studied her. She was this frail, tiny, four-and-a-half to five-foot-tall, I forget how tall woman, Romanian nun, just this tiny little frail being, and yet the way that she lived, so gently and meekly and compassionately, modeling what she believed, she was able on numerous occasions, if you know your history, to walk, before, to walk in the room before the United States Congress and command the attention of every power broker in that room because of her meekness, not because of her throwing her weight around. That's why they listened to her. Gentleness, by the way, is also a prerequisite to being a good leader. If you want to be a good leader in your school, in your workplace, in your church, in your home, you have to learn this quality. The greatest leaders of all time were actually gentle individuals. Martin Luther King was known as being gentle. Abraham Lincoln was known as being gentle. There's a story in the Bible that if you don't know, you ought to know. It's about a guy named Rehoab. And so here's the lineage there, okay? King David is the guy that became king and united the 12 tribes of Israel and created this kingdom under him that became this united kingdom and it became the most powerful force in the world at that time in history, okay? Because those 12 tribes came together with one purpose and it just became this huge thing. It was then passed on to Solomon. Solomon in the Bible was known as the wealthiest, wisest, and most powerful ruler of his time. 
and he united the kingdom even more and became even more powerful under his leadership. Then this thing happened in history where it was passed to his son named Rehoab. Now Rehoab was a really young guy. He was a young leader. He had no idea how to lead, but this kingdom, this powerful nation was handed to him. And so here's what actually happened if you read the story. He does two things. First, he goes to the elders in Israel, which we should all do, by the way, is learn from our elders. They're wise. They've been around longer than us. He goes to the elders, and he asks for their advice. And he basically says, I'm leading this kingdom now. I don't know how to lead. How do I get the people to follow me? And the elders tell him two things. First, they tell him, you need to uh, serve your people compassionately. Okay? Don't throw your weight around. Serve them compassionately. And number two, when you speak to them, you need to speak gently. That's what they say to him. So then he makes a mistake, and he goes to all his young peers, and he asks them, what do you guys think I should do? And their response is, you need to throw your weight around, you need to tell them you're the new king, you need to prove your authority and come down hard, and that's what he decides to do. And that was the point in Israel's history where 10 of the 12 tribes split, and it then lost most of its power and was never the same again. Because of that decision that one young leader made to not follow the advice of those that came before him to live with gentleness and to lead his people in a gentle manner. Instead, he led with harshness, and it just did not work. Gentleness earns respect. You know, one of the greatest leaders in the Bible was Moses, right? Moses led his people out of 400 years of slavery to freedom. He took on the most powerful man in the world at that time, which was Pharaoh, let my people go, and he had nothing but God on his side, and that was enough. Here's what the Bible says about Moses in Numbers chapter 12. Moses was a very meek and gentle man. He was more gentle, in fact, than anyone else on the face of the earth. That's why you have to understand, guys, meekness is not weakness. Gentleness is not weakness. There's two men in the Bible that are described as weak, Jesus and Moses. That's it. So it can't be a weak trait. It has to be one of the strongest traits that you can live with. Moses and Jesus, neither of them were weak, right? We know that Jesus, if you know his stories, he knew how to turn over tables and get mad at the people that were making the church uh, all about making money and doing all those wrong things. He got mad at them, right? He knew how to do that, but yet he was still called the most meek and gentle person on earth. And then Moses was the only other man called meek. Here's the interesting thing to me. Do you know what Moses' greatest sin was? Anger. Those of you that have an anger problem, I have had anger problems in the past, so I've studied Moses. Moses had a major temper, temper issue. In fact, it stayed with him most of his life, and it caused all kinds of stuff. He killed a man one time because his temper flew up and he got angry. When he came down from the mountain with the, the, the Ten Commandments that God had given him, he came down and he saw his people worshiping false gods, and he got angry and smashed them down. Did you read the next part, though, where it says God made him go back up the mountain and carve the next ones himself? <laughs> that was cool. I never saw that before. Uh, so... Here's one guy who had a lifelong problem with anger, and yet the Bible calls him gentle. So this should give hope to me and many others of you who have anger issues, because here's the difference that I discovered in Moses. Moses was teachable. Moses had people, if you read it, that came to him and addressed things with him, and he listened and put them into practice, instead of what some of us do, which is when somebody tells us we have an anger problem or comes to us and tells us we need to do this or we need to do that differently, we throw a hissy fit and walk away. Moses was teachable. Are you teachable? Because that's a trait that we all need to have. Number seven, gentleness is also a witness. It's a witness. 
to those in the room that are Christians. Christians, when people look at you in the world and they're not Christians, they're often analyzing you to see, you know what, they say they believe this stuff, I want to see how they respond under pressure. I want to see how they respond to stress. I want to see how they respond when things get tough because they say they believe this stuff, but let's find out if it's actually true. They're watching you. Here's what the Bible says, Titus 3.2. Believers, Christians, should never speak evil of anyone. Circle that word, anyone. Does that mean that you can't disagree with them? No. There's people you should disagree with because not all truth is truth, okay? Your truth is not, truth doesn't contradict itself. We need to remember that as Christians. Um, and so, of course, you can disagree with people, but you can't speak bad of them. It says you can't slander them. You can't malign them. You can't talk about them behind your back. We're not to do that. Even the people who hurt you? Yeah, even the people who hurt you. Everybody. Nor be quarrelsome, it says. Instead, be gentle and show courtesy to everyone. Everyone. I'm going to harp on this for a second, guys, because <laughs> I've come a long way in this, too. Even people in a different political party? Yes. One of the things that God's most called me to in life is what we call in the church evangelism. And if you don't know what evangelism is, it's sharing Christ with others. It's leading people to Jesus Christ. It's one of my gifts. It's one of the things that I'm called by God to do. And what that means, though, is that I have to actually have quite a few conversations throughout my life with people who don't believe the things I believe. And I have to talk with those people who disagree with me. And so I may disagree with what they believe, or I may disagree with their lifestyle, or I may disagree with their opinion. But here's the thing that I've learned about reaching people for Jesus Christ. I've very rarely won an enemy to Christ. But I've led a lot of friends to Christ. <laughs> because that's what gave me the influence in their lives, was gaining that place in their life first. Effective evangelism is where you build a bridge of love to somebody else and then you back off and let Jesus walk across it and do what only he can do. That's evangelism. And you know, people aren't going to trust Jesus sometimes until they trust you. That's how it is sometimes. And Did you know that as a pastor, I hardly ever get asked questions like, how do you know the Bible's true or how can I trust the Bible? I have great answers for that, but nobody ever asked that. <laughs> I more often get asked, you know, can I trust the people here at Rise? Can I trust you as, as, as my pastor? Are you who you say you are? Do you just spew this stuff or do you live it? Do you have integrity? Are you gentle? Are you compassionate? Let me tell you something. I, I know this from experience, guys. If you actually obey this verse, you are going to be criticized by other Christians. It's just a fact of life because what they're going to say is you're compromising. So when I tell somebody that you know, in college, I had a friend who was Buddhist, you know, or when I tell somebody that I have a couple of friends who are atheists, or I have a friend who's gay, or whatever it might be, I have a friend who's Mormon, I have a friend who's, you name it, Democrat, Republican, or everything in between. When I say that, there are some Christians who will immediately respond to me with, how could you do that? You're compromising on what you believe. No, you never compromise on what you believe, and you never compromise on what this book says, ever, and I never will, to the death. You treat everybody with courtesy, though, and you treat everybody with love and respect, regardless of whether you agree with them or not. Does that make sense? God says to do that. But, again, if you do, mark my words, there will be people that come to you and they'll say, you can't be nice to those liberal people. That makes you a liberal. You can't be nice to those conservative people. That makes you a conservative. Why? Because then they think you're one of them. Nobody gets it right all the time, guys. 
Neither side gets it right all the time. Neither side of the bird. My point is, I have friends who are Republican. I have friends who are Democrats. Many of them are in this room. I'm for my friends. Why? Because that's what Jesus would say, and that's what Jesus would do. There's something that's far more important to me than politics, and that's do they know Jesus Christ? That's what I'm about. Whatever you believe on those, I care more about whether you know Jesus Christ personally. It matters so much more. 1 Peter 3.15, always be prepared. He's talking about talking to unbelievers to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. That implies you have to ooze that hope out before they ask you, first of all, right? But do it with gentleness and respect. So no matter what they believe or how they act or how ungodly they are or whatever, you are to do it with gentleness and respect. In other words, you don't walk around with a Bible thumping people on the head and saying, turn or burn. That's not effective. That doesn't work. It's partly true, (laughs) but it doesn't work as a form of communication in our culture, okay? Okay, I'm running out of time. Last one. Gentleness, this is the biggest one, guys. It actually makes me more like Jesus. It's one of the things that makes me more like Jesus. Matthew 11. Come to me, Jesus says, all who are weary and burdened. Anybody willing to admit they're feeling a little weary and burdened? Yeah. A little stressed. He says, come to me and I will give you more work to do. No. (laughs) What does it say? I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle. Jesus says, I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Okay, question number one. If I want to be more like Jesus, does that mean that I need to be more gentle? Yes. Question number two. If I'm constantly having broken relationships and issues in my relationships and pressure and stress in my life and tired all the time, could it be possible that one of the reasons is that I'm not gentle? Yes. I've had to look at that in my own heart. Some of us, the reason why we get stressed all the time and the reason why anxiety comes up and the reason why we have broken relationships is because we're simply not gentle in how we treat people and communicate with others. And he says, I'm gentle, come to me, I'll give you rest and peace, not stress and pressure. Stress and pressure does not come from Jesus. And so some of you say, well, I want that. I want rest. I want peace. Give it to me. You also can't fake it because it only comes from inside. It comes from the Holy Spirit of God. It says in Ephesians, or Galatians, the fruit of the Spirit is gentleness. That's one of them, right? That means it's the fruit of the Spirit working within you. One of the things that I learned from somebody long ago that I pray almost every day as I walk out the door is God, would you help me treat people like Jesus would every, all, t- all day? Whoever I come in contact with, would you help me treat them like Jesus would treat them? And it helps. He answers that prayer. Let me wrap this up. I'm out of time, but can I share one more thing with you? Are you good? Stretch? Okay, one more thing. Because this is, this is practical, okay? And, and you're going to be able to apply this. So the band's going to come back up now, but you're, this is how you're going to apply this and practice gentleness this week, okay? I'm going to give you three things. They're not on your outline. First of all, when you're out in the community this week, today, tomorrow, when somebody's serving you, so I'm talking about a waiter or a waitress, a Starbucks cashier, an employee, if you're a supervisor at work, when somebody's serving you, try to have a little more understanding and a little less demanding in your communication, okay? Let me me explain that. If you don't get the service that you expect when you go out to eat for lunch after church today, remember that there's something going on in that person's life or maybe they're a trainee, or this or that, 
and try to understand before you get demanding. I have a couple friends here in town that are uh, servers at restaurants, and this breaks my heart, but a couple of them have told me that the worst crowd to serve throughout their entire week is the after-church crowd on Sunday. And I know it's not this church. I know it's all the other ones. I know. But, <laughs> but, but guys, everyone we come in contact with, whether they're serving us well or not, we are representing to them Rise Church and, more importantly, Jesus Christ. Remember that with how you treat people as they're serving you. You don't know everything going on in their, in their heart. So be sympathetic. The second one, when somebody disagrees with you this week, and it will happen, don't compromise your beliefs, but be gentle in your response. Be gentle in your response. I'm not saying cave on your convictions. There's a verse in Romans that says, this is going to surprise some of you that this is in the Bible, because <laughs> you don't live this way. <laughs> it says, welcome with open arms the fellow believers, the fellow Christians who don't see everything the way you do. Some of us shoot away all the Christians that have a different belief on this little thing or this little thing. It says not to do that. It says debate the truth, but in gentleness. And the third one, how many of you have been disappointed by somebody this week? And if not, it's going to happen this week. When somebody disappoints you, again, be gentle. Remember that word. If someone's caught in a sin, the Bible says gently restore them. And here's, here's where I get that. Here's where that hits my heart, guys. What does that mean? It means when somebody disappoints you or hurts you, cut them some slack because God cut you some slack. It means forgive them because God forgave you when you didn't deserve it. It means show them a little grace because God showed you a ton of grace. So you better show everybody else a lot of grace. That's what he's saying. God's forgiven most of us for a whole lot more than you'll ever have to forgive one of these humans for. <laughs> Do you really want to be like Jesus? Ask yourself that right now, just in your heart, because a lot of us say that, but I'm asking you point blank, do you really want to be more like Jesus? Because if you do, you have to learn this characteristic of gentleness. And if you do, the whole world, it says, will belong to you. So I'm going to pray a prayer, and this is a personal prayer from me to God, guys, that uh, this is one that does not come naturally to me. <laughs> and so I'm going to pray this from my heart, and if you want to pray it along with me in your heart, it's a good prayer to pray, okay? God, I am, I am not by nature a gentle person. It does not come naturally to me. So that means that I need your spirit of power and love and self-discipline to do the work inside me. Because, Lord, I want to be more like you. I want to have a gentle answer that turns away anger, not stirs it up. Help me to lower my voice when everybody else raises theirs because then I'm more in control. God, when bad things are said about me help, me, help me to respond like the Apostle Paul, to respond gently so that I can disarm my critics. And when people are headstrong and they're not moving toward the truth and they're hard-headed and I need to persuade them of something, would you help me to remember that I am never persuasive when I respond in a harsh way? God, that the more pleasant my words are, the more convincing I will be. And Lord, I want gentleness to look good on me. I do. I want to attract others by my gentleness. And I want, I want that unfading attractiveness, God, inside of me that comes from a gentle spirit because you say that it is precious to you as my Father. 
And God, help me to use gentleness this week, starting today, to communicate to people in love. Especially in my home, God. And you also said that gentleness earns respect. That a a man of God will be gentle, that a woman of gentle grace will be respected. Lord, I want to be a gentle leader. I want to be a gentle pastor. I want to be meek like Jesus and Moses, have that strength, but have it under control. And God, I want my life to be a witness. So Lord, I help you, I ask you to help me to never speak evil of anyone, to never badmouth people behind their back. Help me to share my faith with gentleness and respect. And most of all, Jesus, you promised, and we all need this, that if I would come to you and team up with you because you are gentle, that I would find rest for my soul. So God, replace my stress with your peace because I want the spirit of fruit to grow in my life. May I apply this word to my life starting today. And would you raise it up inside me?